Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. It's all about the magic of wonder. That's right. It's episode 259 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, fresh back from Anaheim, California, and WonderCon 2019. That's right. This week's all about WonderCon. My experiences on the floor, in the panels, we're going to be talking about trailers, some interviews. Matter of fact, going to be talking to the cast of Marvel's Cloak and Dagger. That's why we're here a day early this week. Get you ready for the two-hour Cloak and Dagger Season 2 premiere that's coming up tonight. Of course, if you're listening to this on Thursday, it's tonight. If not, every Thursday night on Freeform, getting you ready for Cloak and Dagger. Got some more interviews as well. Got a brand new sponsor this week. Going to be talking about Green Chef a little bit later on, making your dinner time a lot easier. But first up, it's our first interview of the week. Writer Greg Pock joined me on the floor at WonderCon. We'll talk to him next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Luke Mitchell from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. We're at WonderCon 2019. One of the things I love to be able to do at cons is sit down with some amazing creators, and this guy has so much going on. I mean, this is a name you know, if not from three years ago on the show, certainly right now with what he's got going on. It's Greg Pak. Greg, how's it going, buddy? Uh, doing well. Thank you so much. Uh, happy to be here. How's your con going so far? It's been great. Today is it's Saturday morning, so yesterday was Friday, the first day of the con, and um, it was great. I had a ton of people coming by, did a spotlight panel last night, sold a lot of books, talked to a lot of shops. And it was, it's been, it's been, it's been awesome. Uh, Saturday is traditionally the biggest and heaviest day at the con, so I'm excited to see what kind of craziness ensues over the next few hours. Uh, but it's, it's, it's been really nice. What's it like coming to one of these things when you know you've got a couple of really good creator-owned projects out? I mean, I know it's nice to have, you know, licensed stuff and, you know, stuff with the big two, but what's it, what's it like having, knowing you've got a couple of really good creator-owned books out? It's funny because, uh... You know, I've done uh, a lot of work for hire stuff on great characters, I, and I've had, you know, been incredibly lucky and had great runs on on the Hulk and Superman and other kinds of characters and Storm and and, that, and that's all fantastic and it's very exciting when people come up with those books and and it means a lot. But there is a special thrill when people come up with your creator own book. You know what I mean? And I I, I, I got to tell you, like yesterday, a lot of people came up with Ronan Island, and I was I I, I was honestly. Um, each time, I had this little thrill of surprise. I mean, it, it's, it's uh, I mean, the book's doing really well. Uh, we're going to have special news about it today at the Boom panel. Actually, I could probably tell you because this is going to come out after that panel, right? You are right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, then I'm going to tell you. Don't tell anybody, you know, in the next uh, two hours. I'll let you see you, Greg. All right. But the, uh, so the book is originally a uh, five-issue miniseries, but it's done so well, and the response has been so great that we're, um, we got seven more issues. So it's going to go. All right, congratulations, uh, man. A full season order, as they say, so it's going to 12 issues. So it shouldn't be a surprise, but yet when people come up with that book, it's still like, oh, yeah, it's very happy making. So uh, I, I really do appreciate when folks support. I mean, I, I love it when folks, you know, come up with any of the books that I've written. Um, but when, you know, with those creator books, it's, it, it is something special. So before you actually got that announcement, 
Did you already have more of an arc planned than just this mini-series, or is it one of those things like, oh man, now, now I have to continue the story? Oh, no, well, you know, it, this was one from the beginning. We were, you know, when I was talking about it with uh, my editor, Cameron uh, Chittock, we were like, this is going to be a five-issue mini. That's, that's what we're going to do. And, of course, as we developed it and as we created this world, because it's a, um, you know, it takes place in this kind of alternate history, 19th century Japan, where there's been this cataclysm that will be explained as the series goes on. But, you know, huge swaths of the whole region have been, you know, taken out in, in a mysterious way. And uh, these, this, these survivors from three different countries, from Japan, Korea, and China, have formed a new kind of world on this island. And then it's all disturbed when, when uh, issue, towards the end of the issue, when surprising threats come from across the sea. But as we develop this world and develop these characters, a lot more story questions and and opportunities sort of presented themselves you know what i mean so when i when when i you know got the call and they said hey we can go to 12 issues there for it i was like yes thank you you know and now i mean the kind of funny thing is like now i'm looking back on it and um and i can't imagine doing it in a shorter way right right you know what i mean it's like there's a whole wealth of character and uh world building and sort of key plot development that uh, that we're going to be able to do now that's um, that's kind of beautiful, you know. In retrospect, I'm realizing it, it kind of went from act one to act three, you know what I mean? Like, boom, you know, and uh, and now it's uh, everything's going to pay off much more deeply and much more resonantly. Um, I mean, it would have been great either way, but it's going to be even better now. Talk about your young characters, Kenshi and Han. I mean, they couldn't really come from different places. What's it been like to kind of play with that dynamic a little bit? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I, um, you know, you always want to have central conflicts to move your story along. And, I mean, one of the big things that I have been very interested in is this sort of thought of diversity within diversity. You know what I mean? That, like, it's great when you're able to have, you know, at least one character in a story who is, you know, like, you know, in, you know like, if I could have one Asian character in a story that's very exciting sometimes, you know, particularly if that's the lead. But there's a whole wealth of things you can do when, when you have multiple people of different backgrounds. You know, it's like, you look at the Black Panther movie. It's like, it's amazing just to have Black Panther in the Avengers. But when you get to do the Black Panther movie, then and, then you suddenly you've got this wide-ranging cast of Wakandans of all different right. backgrounds, you know what I mean? From, you know, and, and all different perspectives, all different ages. Um, and that allows you to go so much deeper and to and it removes the burden for any one character to sort of represent everybody you know what i mean which is just that's a that's a false burden that's and that's unfair to everybody from the character to the creators to the audience you know like so you know stories just get richer when you're able to uh to look at many different perspectives so and and so in ronan island that's what we've got we've got this and what the other thing i like about it is that you've got this society on this island that sort of prides itself on the fact that it's people from all different lands who have come together in a shared purpose and it's now it's this kind of almost utopian democracy like out of feudalism has grown this this uh, in in the face of crisis they have chosen ostensibly egalitarian world right but that's just that in some ways that's the story the society tells about itself you know like we uh, every society tells stories about itself that may or may not be entirely true or may may not be Absolutely. carried through in practice and so 
the, the Hana Kenichi relationship is a lot of fun just because it's fun to see two kids at each other's throats. You know? Oh yeah, and that's drive, very much the drive, case. Drive each other crazy. But it's also, but I love it also because it, you know, it, it digs into all those deeper themes, you know what I mean? Like, they're ostensibly equally footed students, you know what I mean, who are now thrust into this position of, uh, of responsibility. But also, Hana is the Korean girl who, the orphan who lives, you know, in the hut by the, by the sea, and Kenichi is the uh, son of one of the co-founders of the island, you know, the, the samurai heir. And even though the society doesn't, ostensibly doesn't pay any respect to those kinds of social divisions, those social divisions are still there, even, you know, a generation and a half later, you know what I mean? So that's, and, and that's just really fun stuff to explore, you know, like, like at what point does a, you know, how does a society live up to the stories it tells about itself and what happens in times of crisis, you know? And, I mean, the cultural aspect of the story I think would have been interesting on its own, and then the, like you said, threat comes in so what's it like kind of adding that extra layer to a story like that that's already so rich yeah well you know like it's uh <laughs> i just love stories with big hooks you know what i mean like i'm a sucker for genre i i've loved you know i i, I grew up in texas i loved westerns i love samurai movies i love you know i i was eight when star wars came out i loved i always loved anything with a robot in it you know i loved i was i was a dnd freak i loved all the you know i, I, I painted the little lead figurines and uh loved all that that fantasy stuff and um, so you know like all these different kinds of genres have always appealed to me and so it was exciting just to have a chance to do a kind of samurai related story but then there was also this thing of you know I don't know in my head it was like what what's the next hook here you know what I mean and so we've got we've got these monsters that show up at the end of issue one spoiler uh, they're called Bionin and Bionin in Japanese basically means sick or infected and I googled that I'm not gonna lie oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah I googled yeah, it yeah so uh, I'm, I don't want to spoil it here but they're not just zombies there's something else going on and here. thank you for that and they're not and they're not Oni they're not just they're not magical creatures there's something else going on uh, and it's something that I haven't seen anywhere else in uh, in you know in sci-fi or horror, so uh, but it was kind of ripe for plucking and uh, and I, I think it's I, I'm, I'm looking forward to when we're when we reveal that and see what the reactions are because I think it's pretty cool and creepy and fun. So speaking of licensed properties, you've uh, recently gotten to work on a pretty big one. So what's the response been from fellow brown coats and Firefly <laughs> fans about what you're doing there? It's been kind of nuts. Uh, I uh, so yeah, Janine Schaefer, the uh, editor at Boom, who I'd worked with at Marvel uh, a number of years back. Love her. She called me up and she was like, "Greg, you want to do Firefly?" And I was like. That sounds awesome, but I never saw the show. I maybe you need to. You should maybe get somebody. You know, like I, you know, I would love to work with you and everything, but maybe you know, I, I might not be the right person for this. Maybe we should find something else. And she said, and then she was like, hey, just, just watch the watch the pilot, watch the first episode. So I watched it, and then I watched the whole thing over a weekend. You know what I mean? And um, and I was hooked. I mean, I'd seen the movie years ago. I'd seen the Serenity movie, but I'd never seen the show. Um, but it, you know, it just hit like multiple buttons for me. You know, like I, the whole Western thing. You know, I. I was a kid who loved westerns. I was a kid who loved Star Wars, and it's you know it's a it's a space western with a band of you know misfits and and and, uh, and outlaws who kind of come together and drive each other crazy, and it's got all these great little moral gray areas, and it's got this great you know Whedon esque. It's famous for people talking too much. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just this incredibly fun dialogue and character dynamics, and all of that is just stuff that I really really love. Um, and also, you know, it takes place in this, you know, 500 years in the future with, and the idea is that, um, you know, you've got this 
the, the sort of world powers have changed and China is is uh, you know has sort of merged with uh, with the United States and other other countries and and um, so you've got these kind of uh, Asian elements throughout the whole whole thing and that was intriguing to me and you know there was this chance to create these Asian characters in the Firefly universe and um, so there was just like a million it appealed to me in a million different ways and then Dan McDade came on board as the artist and he's fantastic you know like we're not going for Photo- photographic realism here, so it's not like photographic likenesses of the actors, right? Um, and that's a conscious choice. I- instead, Dan is sort of channeling the essence of these characters in such a great way. You know what I mean? Like, like Firefly fans have been, you know, I, I, you know, I see what people post about it and stuff here and there, and folks are been incredibly supportive, and they're just and for good reason because Dan's like, you look at these characters and and they're they're just. They are who they are. You know what I mean? Like it, totally. the essence is right there, um, and it's just a blast. The book's been incredibly fun to work on, and people have been incredibly supportive. It's sold really well. <laughs> I think like I think like mo- like maybe the first three or four issues have all gone to second printing. It's kind of mind blowing, you know. Uh, I, I I mean, it's it, it almost feels like cheating because it's like <laughs> stepping into something with this established fan base that uh, that's just was hungry for it, and I and I get a I get a I get a soak I get a I get a I get a wallow in all that, and it's very uh, it's very pleasant. So. Thank you very much to everybody who's picking up the book. Before I let you go, Greg, what's your favorite character uh, relationship and dynamic to work with in that book? Oh, well, right now it's uh, Mal and the new character, one of the new characters we introduced whose name is Boss Moon. Boss Moon is uh, what's known as a unificator, which is basically a bounty hunter uh, uh, who is hunting down, who works for the government and is hunting down uh, war criminals from the unification war. And so Mal and Zoe are on her list. Without spoiling too much, um, Mal and Boss Moon get thrust into a situation where it's just the two of them, and uh, and that dynamic is is growing and developing in very very interesting ways. Uh, they're just a they're a lot of fun together, and um, and then there's but there's this level of tension throughout the whole thing because uh, either one of them might try to kill the other one at any moment. Um, uh, but the though those two are a huge amount of fun, and um, and Wash and Zoe are just always incredibly fun to write. Um, they've got this uh, great supportive yet complicated relationship and I just, I, I love that dynamic. I've, uh, there's some really fun stuff that uh, that happens in issue number six. No, wait a minute, in issue number five, which just went to the printer. There's some great dynamics there, also in issue number six. But um, yeah, uh, I, I'm really happy that we uh, Spoiler alert! But we're doing the during doing the show at a time when Wash is kicking around and, and ready to go. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's always a plus, right there. All right, Greg, hit us with some release dates. What's coming? Oh my gosh, you know I don't know the actual dates, um, but we do have uh, so Ronan Island Two. I think comes out next week. I think uh, Ronan Island Two is coming. The, there's also going to be a second printing of the first issue of Ronan Island One uh, because I guess it's sold out. It, and because we're uh, you know we're launching you know we're announcing that it's going to 12 issues, um, so keep your eyes open for that. Firefly number, I think Firefly five is about to come out as well. Uh, Firefly six is being drawn even as we speak, and Firefly, Firefly, Fire, I need to finish writing Firefly seven is what I need to do. But um, uh, they're uh, they're all coming. They're all great. Buy them all. Absolutely, and I mean you got fans waiting, Greg. So have a great con. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. 
He was definitely right. Ronan Island number two going to be coming on on April the 10th. That's New Comic Wednesday next week. That you can get your hands on Ronan Island number two and keep boom-studios.com on your bookmark so you can check for when Firefly number five and six and seven and beyond are going to be coming out as well. Thanks again to Greg Park for joining me at the floor at WonderCon this year. Up next, going to be talking about this week in Geek Tame and all the trailers and footage that I saw. We'll break that down next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Greg Pock, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It was a great week for trailers and premieres at WonderCon this past weekend. So let's just start things off, shall we? With one of the panels that I was able to make it to, and that is for Marvel's Dark Phoenix. Now, I got to say, I know I've been rough on this movie so far. It's going to be out June 2nd, 7th, by the way. And I know that I've been very critical of the trailers. Decided to go to the panel and give, you know, just just get a little more insight from the producers and the cast. And Simon Kimberg says, by the way, he does listen to that criticism. Too, by the way. So keep it coming. And and it hasn't been that difficult recently. But I got to say, I want to just talk about the two clips that were shown. And, and I mean, they're out there right now. A little bit of spoilers here in case you don't want to know what was in those clips. I'm not going to give away everything, but since it's out there on Twitter and everything, I don't feel bad about talking about this. The first was basically them going into space, the, the you know, the group of X-Men to try and rescue some astronauts in space and their, their ship is falling apart. And of course, Nightcrawler is going to save them and takes you know, Gene up there with them. Now, here's the problem with that is that we, we kind of get to see the, I want, I'll call it the origin of Dark Phoenix. Okay. That, that's, I guess that's the best way to put it. We get to see how she gets infused with this energy. And, and I got to tell you, it's a good scene. And we get to see the aftermath of that scene as well when they actually go back to Earth and you get Mystique that confronts Charles Xavier. After the fact, which which again was very very interesting, but uh, you know, and I got a pretty good vibe off of that clip. I was like, "Huh, action was good." You know, it seemed really intense. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't totally surprising at the same time. But, it, but I'm like, "All right, eh, that was pretty good." Let, let's see what else they've got. And then they show the second clip. First of all, they used a lot of practical effects as much as they could for this movie, which was really really good to know. And they actually, Simon Kidberg Kimberg was talking about how. They built a block of Fifth Avenue in New York City, and we get to see why. Basically, we see Magneto teaming up with, and I'm not going to say who. I can't spoil that. I just can't do it. Magneto's teaming up with some unlikely, unlikely teammates to go after Jean. They're going to kill her. They're tired of this whole Dark Phoenix thing, and they're going to kill her. So we've got Jessica Chastain whispering in Jean's ear saying, you know, you're the one with the power and stuff like that, and they're going in. And again, I am not going to spoil what this battle was, but the two teams, you go Team of X-Men and you've got Magneto's team, they're kind of battling each other because you know there's some that still think that Gene can be saved. I'm sure you know who's leading up that group and who's leading that charge. But we also find out that someone's died in this, and that's what's got Magneto so upset. Again, not going to spoil that. I told you I wasn't going to give you everything, but I'm going to give you bits and pieces. There's a big death that is revealed, and that is the reason that we are where we are with this scene right now. And as Magneto starts to bust through the doors of the mansion where Gene is, and I say bust through, what he does, he raises something from the ground. It's absolutely incredible, and we find out was actually real. 
by the way, when you see the scene, and you'll know what I'm talking about when you see the movie, when you see the scene, know that that was a real thing that they did. That was not CG. This is according to Simon Kinberg now from the panel. Now, correct me if I'm wrong if you were there and he did not say this, but this is the way I heard it. This was an actual thing that they did and busted through the wall of this house. And I got to tell you, I was super, super impressed by this entire scene. And we get to see sort of a battle between Magneto and Jean Grey, Dark Phoenix. Let's just call her Dark Phoenix for these purposes. And a man, intense... And Sophie Turner, so freaking fierce. I mean, I have never done a bigger 180, I don't think, on a movie, in my opinion of it, than I did when I saw these two scenes from X-Men Dark Phoenix in this panel. If you were not at the if you didn't have the benefit of going to WonderCon, I don't know who's putting these trailers together, but they're not doing a great job from what I'd seen previously to what I'm seeing now. What I'm seeing now tells me that X-Men Dark Phoenix might be the best, if not right up there, of all the X-Men movies that have been out. Not even kidding. I know you're going to think I'm crazy because you haven't seen the footage. I'm not even kidding right now. It looks like it could be that freaking good. I know you can't really judge a movie on like 10, 20 minutes of something that you saw at a con. I get that, okay? I'm not stupid. But I'm just saying, what I saw and from what I heard from everybody involved, this is something to be watched. Jean Grey and X-Men Dark Phoenix and everybody involved, I got to tell you, I'm ready for this. I'm so ready for this, and I think that they might have a hit on their hands. And if this is how 20th Century Fox goes out, if this is their last movie that they've made from when the merger happened, then this is a great way to go out because I got to tell you I really really loved this now moving on another panel that I got to go to was the Nosferatu panel the new show that's coming to AMC I did get to see the first episode of Nosferatu but I am not allowed to talk about it yet there's a strict embargo on reviews so I will not comment on the actual pilot episode itself until I'm able to which is going to be a future on a future episode of the down and nerdy podcast you know I'm going to have a review for you. Don't don't even worry about that. But here's the deal. I am going to talk about the trailer though. That much I can talk about because we get introduced to Zachary Quinto's Charlie Manx. We also get introduced to Vic McQueen who is Ashley Cummings and she's kind of like the girl who knows how to find things. She can find lost things. That's the best way that I can really describe it. And Charlie Manx, basically he's a, he's a jerk that kidnaps children and send and takes them to a place called Christmas Land. Now, this is based on the book by Joe Hill, in case you're wondering, and they were very clear at the panel that they wanted to stay as close to the book as humanly possible, so they really, really wanted to make this a true adaptation. And what we get to see is we get to see what Vic's family life is like. It looks like mom and dad are fighting a little bit. We get to see the kid, one of the kids anyway, that Charlie Manx abducts, and we get to see, we don't really get to see them interact a whole lot, but we do get to see them kind of meet in this trailer. It looks just super, super creepy. And we get to see the Wraith, which is the car that he drives. It's not really a spoiler. That's from the book. I mean, it's a car. I mean, it's that's not a huge spoiler, but that's what the that's what the car is called in Nosferatu. If you've read the book, you already know that. And it's just one of those things where, I mean, you're, you're talking about a place where unhappiness is illegal. That is Christmas land. And Charlie Manx says in the trailer, I'm the only one that's ever been able to get in to Christmas land. No one else has been able to enter. You know, nobody that he hasn't brought there anyway. And, and that's kind of during 
their standoff. So, I mean, this just looks like it's going to be a super creepy and different addition to what AMC's got going on right now. It's got a very supernatural thriller aspect to it, too. If you look, you kind of get that from the trailer. So it won't necessarily just be straight-up horror from what you're seeing in the trailer. There's so many elements to this that I think are going to be really, really cool based on everything that we saw in that trailer. So Nosferatu is going to be coming out June 2nd on AMC. Now moving on to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Season 6, let's not call it a trailer because it's more like a clip. It actually takes place in one episode. I did not get to see the premiere episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I know they screened it at WonderCon. I was not able to see that, but I did see the trailer. This is all going to be coming on on May 10th, too, by the way. That's when the show is going to be premiering on, on ABC. Now, we get to see a scene where it looks like S.H.I.E.L.D., specifically May and Yo-Yo, are there, and the things are not going well. Whatever's going on, we're kind of jump right in the middle of things. There's, you know, there's, there's smoke everywhere, and we don't really know what's going on. Yo-Yo's down, May is down, she's staggering, and then all of a sudden this big semi plows through, and out steps what looks like anyway Agent Coulson, and he wants one of the Shield agents to put that person down, this woman that they're holding, and kind of like the this dude's like, hey, you're you're on our side, and he's like, you're with Shield. Bang, never heard of it. And that's your clip right there. You've probably seen it a million times by now. But I got to tell you, you want to talk about a different Clark Gregg, a different, I put this in air quotes, Phil Coulson. This is absolutely 100% it. I was talking to Clark Gregg after the panel, and he was talking about how uncomfortable this was. You'll hear our interviews from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. probably the week before a week of the premiere episodes when you can hear all of our interviews with the cast of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., just talking about how uncomfortable that he was. And this seems like it's going to be a really different season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I was talking to a couple of people who did attend the panel and talking about how insane that the season six premiere of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was when they saw it at WonderCon. And, and it's just by this clip alone. It really, really looks like it. So I've got a thousand questions coming out of this. Like, well, what happened to them before that semi even got there? And, you know... Real or fake Phil Coulson steps out and blows away a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. And how does that even happen? And are we, are we talking some sort of Skrulls thing? That, you know, you know, you look back to Captain Marvel. It's certainly possible that we could be talking about Skrulls, right? If you read Marvel comics, Skrulls aren't necessarily the innocent you know, beings that they're made out to be in, the, in Captain Marvel. Not all the time, anyway. So there's certainly some deviation there. So I don't know what's going on, but it's going to be a really interesting season, I have a feeling, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It certainly ended on a very interesting note as well. Season 5 did. So, I mean, where this could go is anybody's guess based on this clip. If piquing my interest is what you were trying to do with that clip, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah, you definitely did that. And then one other panel that I got to attend was She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Season 2 is going to be coming back to Netflix on April the 2nd, going to be, excuse me, April the 26th. And it's going to be another shortened season, but that just means we get them quicker, according to Noel Stevenson, so I will take that. They showed a ton of clips, by the way, so I, I want to talk about those a little bit. You've got Scorpius obsessed with Catra, which I think is really, really funny. They showed a great clip from the second season about that. We also see Shira and the gang fighting with some giant Catra and, and Hordak robots that are being deployed, and that was really neat. And uh, apparently, 
Things aren't exactly going well with She-Ra and the sword either. So that's an interesting little bit of information that we got from the panel and we got from these clips. And we get to see, you know, the best friends squad in action a little bit. We get to see, you know, Bo on a little bit of a mission with Glimmer. And it's it's just, this show makes you feel good. I don't really know exactly how else to describe it. There's so, there's so much positivity, yet at the same time, so much tension between these characters on the side of, you know, on Shira's side, on the princess's side, and then you've also got on, on the Horde's side. There's just, there is some tension there, but it's just the whole thing just makes you feel good. I don't really know exactly how else to describe it, and there's certain things you have so many wants that you want when you see these trailers. I mean, when you see Bo looking for Entrapta, and maybe maybe she's on the right side, maybe she's not, depending on your perspective. And how is he going to feel about when he sees that? It seems like it's more than just about Shira and Katra at this point. And, and it was certainly was in the previous season as well, but it seems like everybody's getting their little thing that they're involved in, and then they all come together. And even in the, in the panel, I mean... There was a hint that maybe Hordak gets a friend in this season or something like that, which was really weird. We're going to see more Shadow Weaver coming up in this season as well. There was a ton of clips. You saw the season two trailer, which was just a lot. There was a lot of action. You get to see a lot of butt kicking, a lot of best friends. And this is just one of those shows that that makes you smile. And we we are going to get a little Easter egg for classic Shearer fans too, by the way. That much I can tell you from one of the clips that we saw as well, and a little wink and a nod to, no, I can't give that away. I'm not going to give it away. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm teasing you, but I can't really give it away. The, it's just going to be a great season, season two of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power coming to Netflix on April the 26th. This week, the Down and Nerdy podcast is brought to you by Green Chef. One thing that I missed while I was at WonderCon was a home-cooked meal. At my house, it could take forever just to decide what to eat. That's one reason that I love Green Chef. They do the meal planning, grocery shopping, and most of the prep for me. It's also hand-picked and delivered right to my door, which saves even more time. Green Chef is a USDA-certified organic company providing an easy way to eat well and discover new recipes each week that you'll love to cook. My favorite was the lemon mustard chicken with fingerling potatoes. It was so good. Now, start your meal planning right now. Going to greenchef.us slash downandnerdy, and you'll get $50 off your first order. They have the gluten-free meals that I needed, plus they also have plenty of options for paleo, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, Mediterranean, HeartSmart, Lean and Clean, and Omnivores. Get your quick, easy, and high-quality meals now. Go to greenchef.us slash downandnerdy for $50 off your first order right now. Spend more time reading comics and less time meal planning with Green Chef. That's going to do it for this week in Geek Taming and all the trailers and the footage that I saw at WonderCon. And up next... Yep, we've got some news from the con floor to talk about as well, and we'll do that on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Blair Redford from The Gifted, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Recapping what was the biggest chatter on the con floor at WonderCon 2019 this year, it's time for nerd news. And one of the biggest announcements had to be via video from one Mark Hamill, and that was the announcement that he will be the voice of Chucky in the upcoming Child's Play reboot movie. I gotta tell you, I did not see this one coming, but the excitement level for this movie 
went from, oh, you know, I might well, I might be interested in a new Child's Play reboot to, oh my god, Mark Hamill's voicing it, and I'm going to see this movie regardless. As a matter of fact, when Hamill posted the video on his Twitter page, at Hamill himself, I know you're already following him, but, you know, on the off chance that, you know, you got hit on the head with a rock or something and forgot to, there you go. He released a video saying that, you know, he, how lucky he is and how excited he is and how it's going to be a much different take on Chucky than you have seen in the past. And that, to me, is the biggest breath of fresh air of everything is that, I mean, if you're going to reboot something, do it right. And, you know, talks. he talks about, you know, he's not just, you know, a child's play thing. He's your best friend sort of thing. And it sort of seems like there's going to be a little bit more of a psychological vibe to this Chucky. I'm just kind of, you know, I'm just kind of throwing it out there. Don't know any information on that for sure or anything like that. But it just seems like this is going to be different this time around. Because I take Mark Hamill at his word. I mean, think about the last time Mark Hamill voiced something. And you went, eh, that was no good. Or, eh, it's just okay. No, when Mark Hamill signs on for a project, you kind of believe in it, right? I mean, I know that there was some some strange stuff early on in his career, but especially now, he's very choosy about the things that he wants to do. He's not just going to take this if he doesn't believe in what they're doing. So I got to tell you, I'm psyched for this. And I'm not a big horror movie person, but knowing what Mark Hamill can do, especially, I, I, I don't want to make the Joker comparison necessarily. But you see how he got into the mindset for that role. And still maybe the best Joker that you could ask for, vocally anyway, in, in video games and animation, it doesn't get any better than Mark Hamill. And as a matter of fact, when I was talking to Troy Baker this year at WonderCon, he was talking about how he, it's so frustrating how easy it is for Mark and how good he is at playing the Joker. Think about how he's going to bring all of that energy and experience to playing Chucky in this new Child's Play movie, I think that this is going to be another home run for Mark Hamill. And it makes me interested in something that I might not have been interested in before I heard this news. Now, this news actually didn't come from a panel, didn't come from anything like that. It was something that was announced during WonderCon, absolutely didn't fly under the radar, and was one of the biggest topics of conversation among con-goers, and that is that Emily Bett Records, of course, Felicity, is going to be leaving Arrow. Now, I know what you're thinking. Arrow is going to be done in, a, in one more season anyway. No, no, no. She's actually leaving before the final season. And that's when everybody went, whoa, what is going on here? Now, she posted this very poetic thing on Instagram. Not going to read it to you. I'm going to let you go ahead and read it to you, read it yourself. If you want to, at Emily Bet. On Instagram, if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, basically talking about how grateful she is and how lucky. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, when an actor or an actress leaves a, leaves a gig that they've been in for a while, you know, you tend to see these posts pop up. But the, the crazy thing is, is that this is actually going to happen before season seven even ends. Now, I mean, what does that mean with the flash forward episode? We saw her giving birth and... And Oliver was there. It's not a huge surprise that Emily's leaving. And it's it's just, I mean, there's been a lot of turmoil surrounding her character amongst fans. I mean, you either love Felicity, you hate Felicity, you love Alicity, you hate Alicity. I mean, wherever you stand, it has always been a hot-button issue. And it seems like a lot of what happened on the show, as far as fans' criticism 
a lot of it was centered around Felicity. Now, you can either say that that's true or not true, but there was a lot of talk surrounding Felicity's character and, you know, a lot of chatter about maybe Emily not being so happy with the direction of said character. And that those are just, you know, that's, you know, kind of whispers and chatter, nothing confirmed or anything like that, just stuff that I've heard around the grapevine at, at, at certain conventions and things like that, not putting words in Emily, Emily's mouth by any stretch of the imagination, just things that I've heard. She seemed happy when I talked to her at Comic-Con last year. Gatera and now her and Echo were having a blast. Echo, who is also no longer on the show, by the way. Just going to throw that out there. It just seems like the timing is odd. Why do, why do this now? Especially during WonderCon. They're not there. You make this announcement, maybe because you know everyone's paying attention right now and you know that this is going to be a big topic of a conversation and you're just going to get it out there now. That way it, it's not like news of the day necessarily, but it'll definitely be noticed by fans on the convention circuit, whether you're at the con or not. I just think that, you know, maybe there's an easy explanation for this, right? Maybe we know, we know Felicity's already gone into hiding. We know that from the flash forward episodes, right? Maybe there's a reason she has to go into hiding a little bit earlier. Maybe she has to go into hiding while she's still pregnant. Who knows? Maybe that last part of season seven is her giving birth and Oliver has to leave for whatever reason. It doesn't really matter what the reason is at this point, right? So maybe this just all makes sense in the realm of the story. But it, I, again, is, is such a major character, whether you loved her or not, such a major character is not going to now make it to the end of said show, which only is going to be running 10 episodes in its final season, just seems a little bit strange to me. But I'm sure that it's all going to work out for the best. And whether you love Felicity or not, she brought a lot of chatter to this show on social media that it might not have otherwise gotten without her. And she certainly played a big role in the story of the show, whether you like it or not. Emily Bett Rickards and Felicity was a huge part of the success or failure of Arrow, depending on how you look at it. I tend to think success, even though I wasn't always the biggest Felicity fan. She, again, brought a lot of chatter to the show. And there's got to be something to be said for that. Sticking with the DC Talk, the DC Universe panel had a lot of fans talking for sure. And one of the big reasons for that was the first look at Stargirl and Breck Basinger, who's going to be playing that role, I mean, straight out of the comics, man. I mean, if we're being honest. And we're talking, you know, New 52 style Stargirl, as far as I can tell. Anyway, although that look's been used in the past, it's 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 pretty consistent to what we've seen from the Stargirl look. I think she looks fantastic. I think the staff looks fantastic as well. So I'm already getting good vibes from this. Now we're finding out that it's going to be in 2020 not 2019. It was going to be late 2019 anyway. Pushing it a little bit doesn't really make much of a difference. But we did we did get some other bits of news as well. How about the fact that the entire DC Comics digital library is going to be added for subscribers for free to DC Universe if you're already a subscriber. And then anything... Now, the, the announcement specifically stated that starting in April... Issues that have been released 12 months prior will be available to read for free on DC Universe. So that means if it's once it's 12 months old, it's going to go up on DC Universe. Now, you might be thinking, wow, that's a long time to wait 
to read something that I really want to read that I don't want to go out and buy. And that's kind of exactly the point. They, they still want you to buy digital comics and physical copies and whatever, however you buy your comics, they still want you to buy them that way. But this gives you the opportunity that, hey, if you really want to wait, or here's the deal. If it's something you might not have read anyway, and that's kind of the point of this, isn't it? If it's something you wouldn't have read anyway, like let's say you're not reading Steve Orlando's amazing Martian Manhunter run right now, and it's great, you should be reading it. But maybe you're not sure it's your cup of tea, you're not willing to plunk down your hard-earned dollars to go get it. I understand, not going to judge you for not reading every single comic under the sun. But maybe 12 months from now, you go, you know what? Well, check out that Martian Manhunter run I didn't read before. And then you'll find out why you were wrong and you're going to go buy the trade, maybe. Or maybe not. But this will get you possibly hooked on something that you might not have otherwise been reading. Or if there's something that's going to have a second volume by then. Or a third, whatever. It might make you want to go back and get those other volumes. There, There's a reason for this. And th- let's just rejoice in the fact that this is even going to be a thing. Let's think about that for a second. This is not something that DC had to do. This is a big jump and big addition to, to the DC Universe streaming service that wasn't there before. And yeah, we know that knocking on the door is Disney Plus here pretty soon. That's going to have a lot of great Marvel stuff on it. And DC needs to be out ahead of that. They need to get as many subscribers as they can now. I think a lot of people are going to end up subscribing to both anyway. But this is a way to jump out ahead of Disney Plus and say, hey, looky what we've got, thinking that maybe Marvel won't do the same. I know Marvel has Marvel Unlimited with similar rules in place. But this is DC's chance to say, hey, looky what we can do that Disney Plus is not going to be doing. So I think this is a cool little bonus, especially I'm already a DC Universe subscriber, so I'm digging this. And I might go back and read some stuff that I didn't get a chance to read before because of this. And I could do it at my leisure now because it's free and you know, I don't have any deadlines to meet. So that's a good thing. Some other release dates that were mentioned as well. Swamp Thing, you know, that's going to be coming out first season, going to premiere on May the 31st. We told you about Stargirl in 2020. Jeff Johns is showrunner. I think that that's going to be amazing. The mid-season return of Young Justice Outsiders is going to be happening on July the 2nd. And finally, Titans Season 2 and the debut of the new Harley Quinn animated series, both going to be coming in the fall of 2019. By the way, if you haven't seen Krypton Season 1 yet, that's going to be joining DC Universe this week, actually. As a matter of fact, if you're listening to this after April the 5th, go watch it right now. DC Universe got Krypton on there. Season 1 getting ready for Season 2. So, I mean, that's a ton of great stuff that DC Universe was able to announce, and I am super psyched for what the future is going to hold for the originals and even getting to read a ton of comics on there as well. Not to be outdone, though, Marvel had a nice big announcement on their animated series, which is Marvel Rising, which you can watch on Marvel HQ right now on YouTube. As a matter of fact, Marvel Rising Heart of Iron available on Marvel HQ right now. Riri Williams is going to be introduced in that one. But they announced three more. They're going to be coming to Marvel HQ. First is Marvel Rising Battle of the Bands. Dove Cameron going to be back as Ghost Spider is going to be a 22-minute animated special, and I'll just read the description to you. On the day of the Battle of the Bands competition, Mysterious Attacks force her, being, you know, Gwen Stacy, and the Secret Warriors to investigate. Can they save the city, and can Gwen get to her concert on time? That sounds like fun. This one definitely had a lot of fans talking. How about Marvel Rising Operation Shuri, which will introduce the fan-favorite Shuri 
voiced by Daisy Lightfoot, who of course was in Marvel's Avengers Black Panther's Quest to the Marvel Rising Universe, another 22-minute special. Secret Warriors are turned upside down when faced with their latest mission to hang out with Shuri, the crown princess of Wakanda, and show her what it's like to be an ordinary teenager. So that'll be really interesting. And then finally, we have Marvel Rising playing with fire with Tyler Posey, the Teen Wolf star, as Inferno. This one's going to be a 44-minute Special and Inferno's powers are stolen by a young and powerful villain, and it's up to the Secret Warriors to defeat their new foe and help their friend. Now, this, you know, you might have seen Inferno in some of the shorts as well. We know that America Chavez is going to be part of the Playing with Fire animated short, too. I got to tell you, I was sitting in the press room chatting with the voice cast of Marvel Rising Heart of Iron at WonderCon, and there's just this incredible energy surrounding this Marvel Rising project that might be more than anything Marvel has done in animation in the last, I'll say five years, maybe more. This is by far to me Marvel's most exciting animation project, especially for young viewers. It's just tailored to young viewers so well, but for parents, I say this all the time, you want stuff that you can watch with your kids. It's not going to drive you nuts. That's going to be something that you both love. And as, as a dad of a toddler, it's something that I want, you know, if I want to introduce my son to these characters, I want to be able to do it with something like this, like with Marvel Rising. He can get to love these characters at a young age and grow up wanting to be a Marvel fan, just like DC did with DC Superhero Girls. Makes you grow up wanting to be a DC fan. But as, as fun as these characters are, they're also powerful. They're very, very likable. And it's just something that I'm so glad has succeeded up to this point. And I cannot wait to see more Marvel Rising, especially if you're bringing you know, characters from Wakanda into the mix at this point. We're seeing characters now that we've seen in some of these shorts get a little bit more of a spotlight too. So I love that. Bring on more Marvel Rising because I cannot wait to see what the future holds for this franchise. That's going to do it for Nerd News from WonderCon. Up next, going to talk to the cast and Jeff Loeb as well. Marvel's Cloak and Dagger, talking season two next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm Simone Missick from Marvel's Luke Cage, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. One of the first things I got to do at WonderCon this year was sit down with the creators and the cast of Marvel's Cloak and Dagger on Freeform. The big season two premiere is tonight, big two-parter on Freeform, and yes, that is every Thursday night too, by the way, if you're listening to this after the premiere. The first one to sit down was Mr. All-Everything Marvel TV, Jeff Loeb. The first question, though, wasn't about Cloak and Dagger. Well, not really, anyway. The first question was, is, hey, when are we going to see that Runaways crossover? Let's just say you won't be disappointed. Ooh. Fair enough. Okay. Yes. Yes. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> we'll find out soon enough. I mean, it could it. be cheeseburgers it. for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, I got to ask Jeff Loeb, what's it like to sort of move on from the Roxxon story this coming season? What's it like to kind of turn the page on the whole Roxxon story from last season, moving on to something brand new this season? Well, I think the Roxxon story is something that will always be there. Uh, evil comes in various ways. Uh, and anything that sort of touch back to the real world is always a good place for Marvel to be. Uh, so it may seem like 
the story is not about that, but I would always keep an eye out for those folks. Um, but this season is, is really exciting to us because it's now a chance for the audience to see our heroes really grow and decide we're going to be heroes. So the, the first season is what's happened to us and what are we supposed to do about it. Right. Um, and these are all the wrongs that are in the world. Do we have the ability, the right, the, the stuff to be able to take it on? And this season sort of begins with them saying, we did it, we can, let's take it on. Uh, and then it gets slightly mayhemic. <laughs> Very well put. Very well put. Third question was pretty simple. Tell us about mayhem, Jeff. You know, one would think that in a city that is as complicated as New Orleans is, that for two young heroes, having some kind of adult... I think mentor is too strong a word, but at least someone who can sort of guide them down the path of what's right and what's wrong. And in many ways, that's the role that Bridget O'Reilly provided for them. The Now that her life has been complicated, uh, there's, there's not someone to turn to as much as someone that they're going to have to deal with. Uh, and and that provides for great stuff, largely because that triangle of acting, which is uh, Liv and Aubrey and Emma, is just so much fun to watch uh, that uh, I think we'll get some good surprises out of the season. My next question to Jeff Loeb was, how will Ty and Tandy's relationship sort of evolve this season? How do you feel like Ty and Tandy's relationship is going to evolve throughout the season this year? One of the things about Cloak and Dagger is that they always were equals. One was not the sidekick to the other. One was not more powerful than the other. They they were as close to a pair as you could find, really, in the Marvel universe. Uh, and in the in the same way that they are learning to be heroes, they are learning their powers. So it's not as though. One has powers, and the other one is trying to sort of catch up that and how am I doing this and what's going on. You know, that's very much the kind of feeling that you get in watching Runaways, is that they're, they're all at sort of different stages. It's almost like they're a, a basketball team that there's some stars, and then there's some people that are just coming off the bench, and they're figuring that out, and that makes that drama. What makes the drama and the humor of of Cloak and Dagger is is that Ty and Tandy are really there to support each other and to sort of watch each other's backs and you know it, it is that sort of partnership that you hope that you have with the person who is really in many ways responsible for your life and so um, and hopefully for your joy uh, and I think that's also I always come back to Aubrey and, and Olivia because when you watch them, the affection that they have for each other, the, the, the chemistry that they have with each other is so authentic that it just makes it enjoyable to watch. You know how much they care about each other uh, as people and as professionals and, and as actors, um, that it's, it's delightful. 
and they're still, uh, at least to me, young. And so, <laughs> it, it, you know, being able to watch them grow and, and, and hone their craft is something that's very exciting. Next up was Emma Lahana, who plays Bridget O'Reilly, the detective in Mayhem in Marvel's Cloak and Dagger this season. Now, first question was asked was, how is she dealing with going from being a straight and narrow cop to now not so much? Well, so there's two different sides of uh, kind of two different versions going on. So you do have Bridget still there. Oh, okay. There's the Bridget still there. And it's, it's like a Jekyll and Hyde situation, kind of. Um, Jekyll and Hyde, not Jekyll and Hyde. Um, and so she's kind of at a, a woman at war with herself, essentially. And so you have the Bridget side that's been very affected by what happened in season one. So not only did she deal with heartbreak, but then she's a victim of shooting. So she's got PTSD and she's not handling it well. She's taking pills. She's drinking. Um, and then there's this other side of her that she kind of can't really keep down anymore. It's this rageful side that doesn't have all the things that Bridget had. With Bridget's very much in her head, Mayhem is zero percent in her head. And that's one of Mayhem's kind of strongest superpowers is the fact that she doesn't really give a shit. You know, <laughs> there's nothing really holding her back. Yeah. My first question for Emma Lahana was to talk about her kind of very mentorish relationship with Tyrone and where that might lead the season. Talk about her relationship with Ty early on in the season. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's yeah. a really interesting dynamic there early yeah. on. Talk about that. Well, I think what's interesting about the Ty-Bridget dynamic is in season one, you see Bridget is a protector of Ty, and she really takes him under her wing and really wants to do right by him because she's seen that story a million times, and she wants to really change that for him. It's the same where she you know, put herself out to try and helped Tandy after she was assaulted, but obviously that didn't go in the way that she wanted it to. So she really tries hard with, with Ty to make, make everything right, and it doesn't work. Um, and then the aftermath of everything that happens, you kind of see their roles reverse a little, and Ty is this protector of Bridget. Um, it's a little bit messy in the beginning, uh, and he thinks he's kind of doing things that are helping her, but it actually turns out that they have a different effect. But um, his intention is really pure. I think that's what's so lovely about Tyrone is he really, really tries to do the best and to take care of people and sees everything from a big picture, whereas Mayhem and Tandy are a little bit more similar, where Tandy's a little bit more scrappy, she's a little more feisty, and um, she relates more to Mayhem, whereas Ty would relate more to Bridget. Next question for Emma Lahana was, what's it like playing two different sides of one character? It's, you know, it's interesting because you have to keep them similar enough because they are the same side of one coin, but also differentiate them, differentiate them enough that you could look and say that would be the mayhem side and that would be the Bridget side. So there's a lot of physicality differences that I would do and, and I would change, I would alter my voice a little bit and I, I looked into, you know, physical, like things that happen to you physically if you're in fight or flight mode. So mayhem, for instance, doesn't blink as much because she's always looking for kind of what's coming. She's always, she's always always on for like taking out a bad guy essentially whereas Bridget's so much more careful of herself and so much more protective she like covers her heart she makes herself smaller whereas Mayhem doesn't do that yeah and finally I asked Emma Lahana will we see more about Mayhem's powers evolving as the season goes on we're going to see more about how her powers sort of evolve as the season goes as well um you'll kind of essentially know um, I think I would say by the end of season three, what her powers and her kind of um, abilities are. Yeah. Oh, so it's really going to kind of be a slow burn. I mean, episode three is like not oh, I that season. Season three. No. no. Okay. Oh. I'm like, 
wow, so no, we're really going to take this a It's a very slow burn. Yeah. No, no, no. No, we kind of, I feel like people are going to go into it and they're going to think one thing, like everyone is going and is going to think this is what is happening with this character. Okay. And then we're going to go, actually, this is what's happening with this character. And then maybe we're lying to you. Boom. Oh. But you'll see. But I, I want to see everyone's reaction to the end of episode two. Next to sit down and talk Marvel's Cloak and Dagger Season 2 on Freeform was executive producer Joe Pekaski. And the first question for Joe was, what can you tell us that will get us excited for Season 2? I think if Season 1 was the call to action, this is the baptism of fire. This is Tandy and Tyrone. Now that we've decided to be heroes, they start to have a debate about what kind of heroes they're going to be. And before they finish their first sentence, someone starts murdering people and they get thrown right into it. So that's season two. My question for Joe Bukowski was, how much fun has it been to bring mayhem out this season? Speaking of fun, how great has it been to actually bring mayhem out this season? It is the best. I've always been a mayhem fan, and I remember when we looked at Cloak and Dagger, I'm like, this is a little bit of gold if we get to do a second season. The opportunity to have an ally in season one turn into... I'm hesitant to say the word villain because when you see what she does, you'll probably be on her side the way we were um, until you realize how extreme she is. But um, it's just, it's a gift from um, the gods of Mantelo and Hannigan, I guess. It's just like, it's, it's an amazing character. And then when you cast someone like Emma, you just want to throw more scenes at her and give her more to do. And this is a great opportunity to do that. Got to get one more question in with executive producer Joe Pekaski, and that was, how will the family dynamic for both Ty and Tandy evolve this season? How's the family dynamic going to evolve this season for both Ty and Tandy? Um, I think the fun part of it is, you know, we spent all of season one with Tyrone kind of trying to get out from under his family. He'd yell about being smothered. He'd be in this gilded cage. And now he has beware of what you wish for, because all of that's been taken away. And he's going to realize, like, maybe I needed my mom to do this. Maybe I needed my dad for this. And he gets a little bit lonely. And then Tandy gets the opposite. She's been cynical living by herself. But when she learns her mom was kind of heroic in protecting her, she has her back. And it's interesting, Tandy trying to be the good daughter, which is the opposite of last year. And she's going to have varying success because she's Tandy Bone. Last but certainly not least, it was Tyrone and Tandy Bowen themselves, Aubrey Joseph, and Olivia Holt. First question for them was, what will the interaction with their characters be like at the start of the season? Maybe are they more like allies this time around? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, season one was about them learning each other. You know, they, you know, it was, it was a lot about the audience learning who they were as individuals, but Ty and Tandy were finally get, you know, getting to know each other. And these are two people that usually don't let people in and, and don't really trust people. So the fact that they had that connection with each other was something that really ultimately brought that friendship to fruition. So this season we kind of pick up where we left off, where we kind of just saved the city, saved the world together. So, you know, we, we have that connection just from that period. Um, and, you know, Ty is kind of going crazy in the church being by himself. and. There's, there's a part of him that wants to tell Tandy what he's going through, but, you know, seeing Tandy and, and you know, kind of finally getting better with her mom and getting a better life, um, he doesn't want to ruin that. So there's there's an interesting dy- dynamic there, I would say. Um, but also you, you get to see them grow together as a team, as a, a superhero team. They're finally starting to embrace their superpowers and, you know, see that there's 
there's a city that needs saving, and I think we might be the people to do it. Next question was kind of a serious one, talking about how the show deals with some very serious subjects like abuse, and how do they, as actors, approach this on the show? I, I mean, I think we definitely just realize how important it is that, you know, Marvel is one of the biggest platforms in the, in the world. Um, so the fact that we get to tell a story to an audience that maybe not, they, they might not necessarily know a lot about these issues, you know, certain people. So it's kind of like we're educating certain people as well. So there's a lot of weight that that holds. Um, but it's, it's, it's really about just knowing that there are a lot of people that go through these things and kind of tapping into that and, and the reality of it. And, uh, you know, knowing that, you, you, you can't just give a lackluster performance when there, there are people that are actually in pain from things like this. So it's, you know, it's, it's about bringing that to life so people can see it and maybe finally understand it and, and comprehend it and see that, oh, you know, not everyone is privileged or, or they're actually women being taken, you know, against their will and, and things like this. So I think that's the beauty of our show, that we get to tackle, you know, real life issues like that. And Tanya and Tyrone can talk about it all day long. Mm -hmm. They can sit there and they can chat, but they don't want to do that. They want to take action and do something about it and they're not going to stop it now. Right. Finally, my question, the last one was really simple. Talk about Ty and Tandy's reaction to mayhem. Talk about Ty and Tandy's reaction to mayhem a little bit this <laughs> I think they're confused. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, More what is going on? Um, I think I think Tandy and Tyrone really have been put in a tricky position. Um, and we're really going to challenge the audience a lot this season on the opinions that they form, understanding what is right, understanding what is just. And Tandy and Tyrone are going to do that to each other as well. They're going to challenge each other on what they feel like is right in this mm -hmm. certain circumstance with Mayhem now coming to the table and, and all the opinions that she has and the decisions that she's going to make. And, um, and Tandy and Tyrone definitely are listening, but it's, it's the decision, what are they going to do now that there is somebody new in their lives that they don't really know how this happened or what they're capable of or what they can do. And so, yeah, it's going to be a challenging lesson for them to learn. I get a chance to see it a little bit early, and that's why I was so excited for the two-part season premiere of Marvel's Cloak and Dagger and the end of the episode. Oh, that, I mean, it already makes me not want to wait for episode three. It's going to be an amazing season on Freeform. Make sure you're catching it every Thursday night. And as a matter of fact, go back and watch it again on Hulu because it is amazing. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. And a WonderCon recap. I had a great time in Anaheim. WonderCon, you were great hosts. Loved the fact that there was it was just so much room to maneuver on the floor. There was a ton of great stuff there. An amazing, amazing artist alley. Maybe one of the best that I've ever seen at a con. If you ever get a chance to go to WonderCon, it's so laid back. But huge at the same time. Not as big as San Diego Comic-Con, but definitely has that big con feel. So if you haven't had a chance to go to WonderCon, I would definitely recommend it. You want to see all of our pictures, stuff like that? Follow us on social media. Facebook.com slash Down and Nerdy. At Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Don't forget... DownAndNerdyPodcast.com is always an option. Make sure you're subscribing to us. Thanks again to our sponsor this week, Green Chef. Make sure you're going to greenchef.us slash 
down and nerdy. You get $50 off your first order of those healthier, sustainably sourced meals delivered right to your door. And it is just a blast cooking for yourself and with your family using Green Chef. Remember one thing, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.